This morning, we not only get to celebrate in a new place, but friends, it is our last week of Immerse. It's our last week for those of you who may be new to this place, to this church. We have been going through an eight-week series of reading the New Testament together. And this is our last week. Now, some of you will be meeting this week, and you'll be finishing up John's writings. So John's story of Jesus, the letters that John wrote, and then the vision that God and Jesus gave to John. And friends, this morning, I am full of hope. And I'm full of hope because we've spent the last eight weeks walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We've spent the last eight weeks hearing God's voice. And friends, this morning, we get to celebrate together. And I'm so excited that this week you're going to be spending the week with John. Because John is the bringer, the messenger of hope. Because you see, John's audience, they needed hope. You see, John wrote his books in the 90s when Domitian was the emperor and the audience that John was writing to, it was not hard to be a follower of Jesus during that time. Domitian was persecuting the Christians, the followers of Jesus. The churches were all over the place. There were fickle believers who said, no, I want it this way, no, I want it that way. To follow Jesus in that time often meant bankruptcy, isolation, it often meant torture and even death. And John says, I have to give them some hope. John knew how important hope was. And Jesus knew how important hope was. And so Jesus, you're going to read it this week, invites John in the spirit to get a glimpse of what we put our hope in. Let's see if this works. See, guys, I might need some help. <laughs> Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And this is what John saw. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. When I saw him, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, don't be afraid. Christ Memorial Church, don't be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. This is the picture of what John saw. Now, it's a bit crazy, and you're going to read this this week, and you're going to think, oh, my goodness, 
What is this? What is this all about? There's a lot of pictures in the book of Revelation. But let me show you what else he saw. Day and night, they never stopped saying, these are the people who surrounded God's throne, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You see, John got this picture, and this picture was of worship, continual worship. And then John gets this picture where Jesus says to him, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is both trustworthy and true. You see, John gets this picture of continual worship, but it's gonna be all new. And Jesus says, tell the people, tell them that there's something else. I'm gonna create something new, friends. There will be a day when there will be a massive movement in heaven and everything on this earth will change dramatically and we won't recognize it and it will be new. I think sometimes we think we want to hear, what is it like? What will it be like? We don't know. We have nothing to compare it to. But get this. Jesus says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see, friends, words are going to lose their meanings. Words like history, historian, death, dying, hurt, suffering, wrinkles. It'll all lose their meaning because there will be a new creation And you know what's cool? This is the vision. After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You know what John saw in his vision? That we would be together. So here's the picture. Continual worship, friends. Something new and that we will be together. And you know what gives me hope? We got to practice that this morning. We got to practice, friends, what we will get to do together in eternity. And that gives me hope. And imagine the folks who got this letter that John wrote. Can you imagine? Let's talk for a few minutes about John. This week you're going to read, you're going to finish John's story of Jesus. You're also going to read the letters that John wrote. And you're going to read the vision. So who was John? Well, we first get introduced to John, and he's young. We think that John may have been a teenager. He may have been 13 to 15 years old. And we first meet him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's fishing with his brother James, with Peter and Andrew, with his father Zebedee. And Jesus comes walking down the shore and Jesus looks at them and says, I want you to catch and fish for people. I think you can be like me. So come and follow me. I want you to be a disciple who makes disciples. And John takes on this challenge. 
Now what's fascinating is we also get little details of John, and I think this is what is fun. This is the cultural context. Now we know because John and James and his father had hired men, they were probably a pretty well-to-do family. We also know that later on, you're gonna read this this week, is that John had special access to the priesthood. In fact, when Jesus goes before the high priest, John is right there in the courtyard. And that's interesting to me. We also know that John had chutzpah. Do you know the word chutzpah? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Jewish word for a little bit of attitude. Right, check this out. See if I can get this. This is what Luke tells us. A group of Samaritans didn't welcome Jesus into the village, so James and John asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Can you imagine? Here's James and John, and if John is 13 to 15 years old, you can just see it, right? Come on, Jesus. We'll take care of this for you. And so Jesus gives, gives them a name, a nickname. It's this. These are the 12 he appointed. Mark tells us this. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave them the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Can you imagine, as you read this week, you're going to read that John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved, right? I'm going to write that down for everybody to see, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know what? This week, you're also going to read that John says that he is probably the fastest disciple, He wants you to know that. He wants you to know that when he was racing Peter to the tomb, he won. So this is John, okay? Now, what's interesting is John may have been the nephew of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Did you know that? So that makes John maybe the cousin of Jesus. And we get this hint because Matthew tells us, oops, let's go up one. Matthew tells us, let's see, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, now this is at the cross, and the mother, the sons of Zebedee. And then John tells us, now beside the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, And John does not write himself into his story. So he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I wonder if he's separating himself. Instead of saying, my mom, he says his mother's sister, Mary, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now what history tells us is that John was a pillar of the Christian community in Jerusalem. Now, we don't hear a lot about John in Acts, but what we do know is that John's brother James was the first martyr, was the first disciple to be killed for his faith. All right. Now, what we also know that history tells us is that around 66 AD, the Romans came to the part of the world where the Bible was written. 
You see, the Jews revolted, and the Romans said, we're not going to have this. So they came, and they started to make their way through the country, and history tells us that it was at this point that John took Mary, Jesus' mother, to a place called Ephesus. Now, this was around 66 AD. This was about the time that Peter and Paul were in Rome and were killed in Rome. And so John takes on the mantle in Ephesus. And if you remember, Ephesus is the fourth largest Roman city. More of the Christians, the disciples, poured into this city, other than Jerusalem, into this city than any other city. It was a bustling metropolis. Imagine John coming here. Being a fisherman on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and becoming the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now we know that John was effective in his ministry. And it may have been because of this. This is the temple of Artemis. You see, Ephesus was the place where you would worship the emperor, the center, a center of emperor worship, where the emperor is the god, king of kings, prince of peace. But Ephesus was also the center of worship to Artemis. This is a picture of the Artemis temple, one of the seven wonders of the world. This is what it looks like now. But we know that John's mission worked. Because what we know is that Domitian, the emperor who claimed to be God, sent John from Ephesus to an island called Patmos. Do you see it off the coast of Turkey? And John was banished. But what history also tells us is that in 96 AD, when Domitian died, John went back to Ephesus. And John was probably the only disciple who died of natural causes in Ephesus. But it was before John went to Patmos that he wrote the story of Jesus. Now think about this. If John wrote, it was probably around 90 AD. Do you remember when the other gospel writers wrote their gospels? Around 45, 50? John would have written 30, almost 40 years later. He was probably an 80-year-old man. And I wonder if John said, okay, I've read all these other stories. Now I'm going to tell my version. I'm going to fill in the gaps. So as you read this week, you'll notice it's a very different story. And John does very different things. But I think one of the things that John wanted to do was he wanted to give hope to his audience. John would also write his letters before being banished to Patmos. And then when he was on the island of Patmos, he would get this amazing vision. You see, John, on Shabbat, was in the spirit. And Jesus invited John 
And Jesus said, here's the deal. I want you to write a letter. But do you remember what we've been saying this whole time? These letters were written for a specific person, for specific people, during a specific time, for a specific reason. So Jesus says, I want you to write a letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And so John takes this vision and he writes it down. And I think oftentimes when we read the book of Revelation, it's complicated. And we think, I don't get any of this. And you have to remember, folks, it was written to people who would receive it. And they knew the pictures in the texts. Now, when you read, you're going to read all kinds of literature. In fact, Richard Balcom says this. He says, Revelation seems to be an apocalyptic. Let me see if I can get back to it. Revelation seems to be, ah, ha, ha. there we go. We'll get this figured out. Revelation seems to be an apocalyptic prophecy in the form of a circular letter to the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. So let's break that down. Revelation seems to be an apocalyptic book. You see, an apocalyptic book is a book that's given by some celestial being, and it's given to someone, and it's almost as if they take them up to the cosmic level, and they can look down, and they can see what's going on, and they see it through a different lens. You see, we like to look at history through our present day, but apocalyptic literature likes to look at the present day through the future. You see, they say, this is what it's gonna be now, let's look at the present. Apocalyptic in Greek means unveiling. It's as if Jesus said, I need to show you something, I'm gonna unveil it. Let me show you this. Prophecy. You're going to read prophecy. Now, when we read prophecy, when we think of the word prophecy, we think of, okay, it's going to tell us what's going to happen in the future. Kind of a fortune-telling type thing. This is what to expect. But in the ancient world, you know what? Prophecy was more about what was happening today. In the immediate. It was as if a mirror was being turned to the audience and they were being shown either encouragement or they were being challenged to repent. I think this one is the most important thing to remember, that it was a circular letter. You see, Jesus said to John, I want you to write this letter, and then I want you to send it to these churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, do you notice they're on a circular path? This was the mail route. So Jesus says, take this letter. Take this revelation to these churches. Start in Ephesus. Let them read it. Then take it to the church in Smyrna and let them read it. 
And as you read this week, you're going to see that Jesus has a special email for each church. You'll read it, and and Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, these are the things that I want to applaud you for. But friends, these are the things I want you to work on. So we have to remember that this was a letter written to specific people at a specific time. Okay. Starts, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. You see, they're going to receive this book and you know what? I want you to understand it. I want you to do the things that I'm asking you to do. One thing we have to remember. How many of you guys know, let's see how this goes, what a meme is? Does everyone know what a meme is? I, a, me, a meme is a cultural image, an image that gets spread around, and it's, it's, it's a statement on the culture, right? Here's a meme. This is one of my favorites. Ordered a 10-piece chicken McNugget, and I got 11. Can we all feel it, right? Yes! Right? But can you imagine 2,000 years from now, somebody going through our files on the computer and seeing this? What is a McNugget? Right? And this is what we do when we read Revelation. Friends, it's full of picture, 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 picture. Cultural pictures that we are not familiar with, but the audience was. And you know what? John... He knew his Bible. He knew his scripture. As you read Revelation this week, notice this. There are 404 verses in Revelation. You guys maybe help me by going back. And there are 518 references to earlier scripture. This is not something that, that came out of the blue. This is something that the people knew, that the people were familiar with. So remember that. Here's a list, just for fun, of all the references. Can you imagine? See how many you can pick out. See what brings you back to the Older Testament, to the book that they knew. Hope. You want to see the fulfillment? You want to see the new creation? Here it is. Now I want to show you one picture. This is one of my favorite pictures in Revelation. And I hope that this picture gives you some encouragement this morning. How many of you guys are excited about the Olympics coming in the summer? I don't know about you, but we've started to see Olympic commercials on TV, right? One of my favorite things about the Olympics is the opening ceremonies. We will sit and we will watch the opening ceremonies. And I love the opening ceremonies. The pageantry, the colors, the music, the excitement. Friends, the opening ceremonies have always been a big deal, especially in the ancient world. Let me show you. And guys, I might need your help because I'm going to click through these pretty quickly. The games. The audience that John was writing to in Asia would have known about the games. 
They would have known what happened. They would have looked forward to the games. And they would have looked forward to the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. Let me tell you what the opening ceremony looked like at the time of John. You have to remember, Domitian was the emperor. And Domitian said, I am the God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace. And Domitian, the emperor, would start these opening ceremonies, these opening ceremonies of the games. You see, the emperor would come into the stadium and they would tell of the emperor's amazing deeds and what the emperor did and who the emperor was. And he would enter and then the emperor would stand there and he'd look out and he'd see all the cities and regions represented in front of him. And the emperor would say to them, this is what I'm proud of you for. Keep going, but this is what I'm holding against you. And then there would be singing. The 24 priests of the 24 recognized religions in Rome would lead the people in singing acclaim to the emperor because these games applauded this emperor. These games showed what the emperor was like. And then the emperor would stand there with a scroll and he'd open the scroll and it would be the beginning of the games and the emperor would recite acclamation to the gods. And then it would be the first event. You see, this was the favorite event. It was the chariot race. And usually this chariot race had four people racing. Four chariots. One would dress in red, one would dress in white, one would dress in black, and one would dress in a pale color. And they would race around, and it would be an amazing thing because these chariots, they would knock against each other, and if, if you were lucky, one of them would flip, and the crowd would cheer, and be the first game of the Olympics. And then there would be the participant parade. We know what this is like because this is what happens now. The participants march in, in robes of white, waving palm branches. And then the trumpets would complete the opening ceremonies and the games could begin. Let me show you what John does with his book of Revelation. Chapter one, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. You wanna hear Jesus' accolades? He is faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Number two. See, I might need your help, guys. The emperor makes these declarations. You're gonna read in the letter, Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. And then he'll say, but I have this complaint against you. And he'll do this for all seven churches. Step three, acclamation with singing. 
Here's the picture. Revelation 4, I saw a throne in heaven, someone sitting on it, 24 thrones surrounded him. 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their head. Day after day, they never stopped singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is still to come. Step four. It's time for the scroll. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. and was sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals of this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Can you imagine? Wait a second. That's the job of the emperor. That's the job of Caesar. And John is saying, there's no one on earth who is worthy to open this scroll. But then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then number five, it's time for the chariot race. And the picture we get in Revelation is that there's four horsemen, one dressed in red, one dressed in black, one dressed in white, one dressed in a pale colored uniform. Then we get a participant parade. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people in language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches, and they were singing, salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And then there are the trumpets to complete the opening ceremonies. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence throughout heaven. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. Let the games begin! Friends, as you read, the one thing I want you to remember this week is this. God is God, and the emperor is not. Amen, right? (laughs) Friends, do you see what John did? To a group of people who needed hope, John said, the emperor is not God. God is God, and he is seated on the throne. And John put life in The basket, he says, this is an Olympic event. And you know what? He says, you are the participants and you run so that God has the glory. Paul picks this up and Paul says, you need to run like you want to win. Josh shared with us a verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and then let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Friends, I don't know what you walked into this place with this morning. 
I don't know what kinds of things you heard this week, whether it was a call from a doctor that said the word cancer, or whether it was, I don't, I don't know what it was. Maybe you don't have enough to eat this week. Maybe you're frustrated with a friend at school. But Jesus says, keep going. Keep going and run the race marked out for you. And I love this picture because it's an ancient arena. And I want you to think about who is sitting in those stands cheering you on. Friends, we sit in this place because we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And they are cheering us on. They're saying, keep going. Keep going. It's Peter. It's Paul. It's Mary. It's John. But friends, who are those people in your life who are sitting in those stands saying, keep going? Is it your mom, your dad, your grandparents? For me, it's my sister. Chelsea, who sits in those seats and says, keep going. It's amazing to think who sits and who has sat in those seats before you did. And friends, someday you will be in those stands and you will be cheering us on. So I ask you, Christ Memorial Church, we turn a new chapter in the book this morning, and we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to leave to the next generation? What are we going to leave to those who come after us? If Jesus wrote us an email, what would Jesus say to Christ Memorial Church, to the angel of Christ Memorial Church? But friends, here's my challenge. Why wait until we're sitting in the stands to cheer each other on? Right? Let's do it today. Let's run together. Friends, we stand on the generations and the generations that have come before us. I want you to hear this morning that there's hope. There's hope. Keep running. I wonder if the email that Jesus would send to Christ Memorial Church would say, friends, the best is yet to come. I have plans that you would never guess. But we can't do it alone. We have to cheer each other on. We have to be in each other's court. And together we can show the world, we can show Holland what Jesus is like by the way we treat one another and with those. Friends, this is a beautiful building, but you know what? You are what's holy about this place. 
You are a holy people that God gathers together and God will send out into the world. So are you in? Are you ready? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what you have done through Christ's memorial church through the ages. How this, how this has been a place where people have been welcomed. People who feel like maybe there's no other place for them to go. And Christ Memorial Church has opened their doors and opened their arms and said, come. God, we want to be that place moving into the future. God, we want to be a place where when people show up here, they see a picture of what heaven could be like. God, give us the courage to step into that. Forgive us for the places that we need to be forgiven. But as we move forward, God, we desire to be a church that shows the world what you are like. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.